Welcome to Agriculture in North Carolina. Hello, farmers and friends. I'm Dan Miller. This program is all about North Carolina's largest industry, and that's agriculture. On this week's show, we'll talk with Dr. Eric Edwards, Assistant Professor in the Department of Ag and Resource Economics Department at NC State. We'll be talking about carbon markets. What are the practices that you can implement on the farm that can earn you marketable carbon credits? Who determines what a credit is? What it's worth? Where are the brokers? And why would a company want to buy a carbon credit? And spoiler alert, the last question, why would corporations want to buy them, is probably the easiest to answer. The others? A tad more complicated. And my co-host for nearly almost 140 shows now, Jeff Turner, will be here in just a moment as we'll talk over the week's headlines in agriculture. Ag and NC is made possible by Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Find links to those folks on our website, agandnc.com. And soon you'll be able to find the North Carolina egg and grain prices with historical information there as well. Let's venture to Duplin County and hook up with the COO of Murphy Family Ventures and member of the North Carolina Board of Ag and my co-host, Jeff Turner. Jeff, how is Mother Nature treating you? I tell you what, D.C. has had a run of remarkable weather. It's going to be cool this week, though, I understand. The cold weather's coming. I had short sleeve shirt on this weekend. I wore shorts to work on Friday. <laughs> Newly elected House Speaker Mike Johnson, which first off, I didn't think anybody could, the whole House, the Republicans all vote one way, but he managed to do it. He's from Louisiana. According to the American Farm Bureau, he has a strong history of supporting farmers and ranchers. That's a good thing. He's won the Friend of Farm Bureau Award a number of times, and he has set in a note to his fellow members that they're going to work on the farm bill at this point, but they'll try to get it passed to bring it to the floor in December. And that's cutting it close. It is cutting it close, but I got to tell you, I believe he can do it. And you know why? He absolutely has to be a miracle worker to get all that crowd (laughs) on the same page. There's no doubt that this is inspired from above (laughs) because those jokers ran around for three weeks with their hair on fire. And finally, this guy comes out from nowhere. This was inspired from above. Global fertilizer use dropped a little bit in 2022. You sent me this note. Robo analysis say that uh, there should be probably an increase in usage as we look at 2023. We should not see too much of a variance because of the war going on in the Middle East. But I didn't know Israel accounts for about 3% of phosphate and 8% of potash exports globally. Yeah, they play a a large role in in that. The good part about all this, though, is prices are coming down. Yeah. Farm inputs are going to improve, I think, and that's a great thing for our row crop farmers. We talk from time to time about the increase in hard surfaces in the middle portion of our state and runoff coming to our part of the state. North Carolina's population growth continues. The big increases 26 percent of north carolina's population growth was in wake and mecklenburg counties now the 26 percent of the population was added in five counties johnston brunswick and by the way you're going to have to help me with the pronunciation of this one carabas county what i wasn't even close right what is it you screwed it up so bad i can't say it (laughs) cabarrus cabarrus okay hey i got conita right so i'm just happy with that Union, uh, Ardell, uh, Union and Ardell. 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 One of my best friends is from there, and he says, say it like a pirate, buddy. Ardell. Ardell. 
all suburban areas to metropolitan areas. That's not exactly a, a shock. But past year, 2022, 58% of all North Carolinians lived in a municipality. So the rural areas are the only areas that saw much of a decrease in the last two years. When it comes to representation in Raleigh and other places, politically you have to forge relationships because they're going to have more votes than we got. <laughs> so and in rural North Carolina, east or west, has a lot of different sorts of problems to deal with. The way that we distribute votes in, in the General Assembly becomes more and more important as we become less represented. With that in mind, the, the uh, General Assembly approved new electoral maps, and as far as the United States congressional map is concerned, the districts are pretty carved out, Republican, Democrat, and then the first district is about the only one that's kind of 50-50. Looking at the map, the first district in North Carolina is geographically huge. It's huge, and again, it all gets back down to the population piece. I mean, it's it's about the people. And it's also a large farming district, so whoever is representing that district has got to be kind to farmers, because that's a huge part of their constituency. That's right. In just a moment, we'll talk to Dr. Eric Edwards, Assistant Professor in the Department of Ag and Resource Economics Department from NC State. Ag and NC is brought to you in part by Bill Carone Cars in Wallace, the only Chevy GMC dealer in eastern North Carolina to be an ag pack dealer, which means any farmer who buys a vehicle at Bill Carone is eligible for more than $30,000 in savings on products you probably already use. Everything from tires to ag products. The list goes on. Check out the advantages of the ag pack program at Bill Carone Cars in Wallace or online at BillCaroneGM.com. This is Ag and NC on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Thanks in part to Donna Byram with First Choice Insurance Partners. Call Donna today at 252-792-1189. Let her protect your yield so you can stay in the field. Dr. Eric Edwards is an assistant professor in the Department of Ag and Resource Economics Department at NC State. I wanted to find somebody to talk to us about carbon markets. When I asked my contacts at NC State, they said, Eric's the guy you got to talk to. So as a starter, not to get too far into the weeds, give us kind of an overview of how the concept of carbon markets started, why why there seems to be, uh, why there's a good need for it, that kind of thing. Carbon markets are a, what we talk about in economics as a sort of carrot type of approach to providing environmental quality or environmental goods and services. So we can think about a stick approach where There's some rule that says you have to do X to provide benefit. And in this case, proliferation of carbon and atmosphere is creating warming temperatures, climate change, and governments around the world want to do something about it, and private firms as well. And so carbon markets are a way of providing reductions in carbon via a a stick, which is a payment for reducing carbon. So carbon markets, in the case of agriculture come in the form of carbon credits. So there's the interest of typically a firm in reducing their overall carbon footprint. Say Google has a bunch of servers and those servers use electricity and that electricity makes carbon emissions. The idea behind a carbon credit is that there's some practice that Google can pay someone to do where that other party reduces their carbon use and Google pays them for that and then takes the credit to, in a sense, offset the carbon that they're using. So 
This has grown almost organically. I've heard carbon markets referred to as the Wild West over and over again, right? So we we have people who are bringing carbon credits to the table, be they producers or those who are marketing for producers, and selling the carbon credits. What is the free market situation at present? You know, the Wild West is a good way to describe it. Uh, Another way to think about it is there's a lot of potential, but the market right now is very small. In agriculture, one of the key ways to create carbon credits is through storage of carbon in the soil, additional storage. There's estimates in the U.S. that could generate up to $5.2 billion in annual revenue and sequester you know, around 4% of the country's total carbon emissions. But there's no centralized program. There's no USDA you know, initiative to make this happen. So this is all happening organically through a variety of different types of firms. If we think about the two most common types of activities that farmers are paid for, for sequestering carbon in the soil, which would be uh, no-till or low-till agricultural practices or uh, cover crops, then there's private firms, entities of a variety of different types that are willing to pay farmers for the carbon that they've stored under those practices. Those firms then have to go and take that credit and sell it to someone who's willing to pay for it, like the Google. Regardless of how I feel about the climate change, if this is a source of revenue for a farmer, I'm all about it. How can the average farmer in eastern North Carolina certify what he's doing? Once he's certified, how many credits does he get for doing for this practice that he's now doing? or has been doing all along, who consolidates all that and figures out how to get the guy paid? Yeah, it's a a really good question and one that there's not an easy answer to. So each of these organizations, there's a variety of different types that pay for carbon credits, have their own system of how they do it. So typically how it's going to work, the farmer will go to one of these firms' websites and try to enroll in the program. There's different eligibility requirements. One of the big ones is Bayer, and I don't believe at this point in time North Carolina farmers are eligible, but that may change in the future. You go to the program's website, and you enroll, and then you look at the criteria and how the program works. Typically, the program is going to have a set of practices that are payable to the farmer. Mostly, it's going to be things like cover crops, and lower no-till. There are some other programs. Uh, I'm not sure which program specifically, and there's so many of them are, are eligible for Eastern North Carolina. But given that there's this variety of programs, the farmer then would look and say, all right, what practice could I implement the amount that that, that practice would pay? So for instance, Bayer um, at one point in time was paying $6 for cover crops and $3 for no-till. You could make, if you implemented no-till and uh, cover crops, you can make $9 per acre per year, but there's going to be a variety of things you have to do to meet that criteria, right? The first thing is that you have to show that change is additional, right? You're not already doing those practices because if you're already doing those practices, you're not sequestering any additional carbon. Then you have to verify in some way, or at least the buyer has to verify that the carbon actually has been stored in the field. Some firms do it remotely and some actually come onto your to your farm and, and test your soil and so on. I used my my wife's two brothers who have been farming for all their lives. 
they've been doing no-till or minimum till for years and cover crop. And because that's always been considered what I would call a BMP or a best management practice for the farm from a conservation standpoint, forget about carbon, those guys are closed out of the market for something that would add value to their farm, but they've been doing it all along, so they don't get credit. Depending on how the program is structured. So what, what you what you discuss here is something known as stacking, which would be if you're implementing a best management practice under some other program. Um, a good a good example would be a low-till, no-till type practice under equip, and you're being paid for that by a government entity or maybe another another organization, or you're getting credit for it in some other way. Is it possible then to also receive credit? Because that payment is for general environmental services, maybe improved water quality. That credit is that payment is not being made for carbon sequestration. Is it also possible to stack that and get paid additionally for the carbon that's coming in? It seems like that is possible. I've, I've seen some anecdotes of that happening in the in the Midwest. But again, you have to check what the, the specific program rules are. I think in their particular cases, they're not getting paid by anyone. It's called $4 diesel fuel, and I saved two trips across the field, at least two trips, by just doing minimum or, or no-till. I, it all appears to be a lot of hocus-pocus when you've got folks who've been doing this all along and they're not allowed to participate just because they've always been doing it. Obviously, this whole thing is ever-changing, and it's not settled, but that's the part they need to get fixed. Hold on just a moment, uh, gentlemen, and everybody on the road, and everybody in the field. You're listening to Ag and NC. Thanks in part to the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. North Carolina's official business development and marketing program for agriculture. More than just agriculture, it's got to be NC. You're listening to Ag and NC on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. I'm Dan Miller along with Jeff Turner, joined by Dr. Eric Edwards. We're chatting about carbon markets. It makes me a little nervous that my supplier is also the person who's on the other side. seems like I want to deal with an independent party. A lot of folks paying farmers for uh, carbon sequestration practices are, are supplier companies to the farmers. Yeah, and that's a whole interesting sort of reasoning behind that um the lot of the suppliers rather than them being middlemen so a lot of you know if the farmer produces a credit they're the, essentially the seller of the credit and then they need to have someone who's interested in buying it that is someone who values carbon sequestration right and i mentioned the example of google wanting to buy it and then there needs to be a middleman to move the credit from one to the other in the case of some of these ag suppliers like bayer they're actually the buyers themselves. They actually want to offset their carbon footprint because of, you know, corporate sustainability goals that they've made or commitments they've made under these different uh, carbon reduction protocols. Because of how these protocols are set up, it actually benefits them in some ways that are very complicated and I, I don't even really understand to be offsetting within their own supply chain. So in other words, they want to buy from people that they're that are already considered part of their carbon supply chain because they get, like, more credit for it. My assumption, too, is they may not be exactly paying fair market value. I mean, it's in, in many cases for the farmer, hey, it's revenue they didn't have before, so sure, I'm all in, and it's easy. Yeah, and, and so sort of in this, in this Wild West world, you know, it's very hard to understand what is and is not fair market value, especially in the case of carbon, which is this typically kind of unpriced, very vague or uh, sort of 
notion of what it is you're actually producing, right? You're storing carbon that's then not going to the atmosphere that's then producing this, this set of benefits. So without a centralized market or a centralized cap on carbon emissions, different firms are willing to pay different amounts and it's sort of stuck on the farmer to figure out where is the value coming from? Is there even value in engaging in these programs? Where are the carbon markets going, you think? Will there become sort of a regulation like the New York Stock Exchange in small scale? What do you see on the horizon? There's a couple of things. The first is there's been a lot of calls for the USDA to get involved, not necessarily as a buyer, but as kind of exactly as you suggest, a someone to systemize and standardize how these credits are created, how they're monitored, things like that. To that end, the USDA has started a series of these climate smart commodity pilot programs. I'm not sure if there's one that's enrolling in North Carolina, but certainly um, I just spoke to some folks at Virginia Tech who are getting one up and going, where they're going to figure out how to get farmers enrolled, how to make this scale this up at a, a much bigger level, so that there could be standardization. The second thing is as climate change rules and regulations evolve, I think we're headed more and more towards the idea that there's going to be caps or at least rules on the amount of carbon emissions, and that's going to create additional demand. So California, for instance, implemented a number of years ago a cap on carbon emissions and a trade and offset program. And that created demand where firms in California were trying to buy carbon offsets. And so as those sorts of programs start to roll out, there's going to be additional demand, and that could drive the market to be much larger than it is currently. Well, I think, as I understand, that there's actually two markets today. is the California which would market, which is mandatory by the state. If you do business there and you produce carbon, you have to figure out a way to offset it. Those, those credits are higher price than are the voluntary market for the folks, whatever company XYZ wants to say, well, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be carbon neutral. So therefore I'm, I'm in the voluntary market buying those, those credits. Yeah. The regulatory created market and the voluntary market. There's two markets. The only game in town right now in North Carolina, right? Is the voluntary market. We don't have a cap um, on carbon. And so that's the only thing farmers can engage in. But I think that actually provides a really nice example and maybe a, a, a note of caution on some of these programs. So California's program created these credits, and there were a lot of people who purchased, sold credits into the program, and a lot of those credits were kind of ended up being viewed as worthless. They didn't actually offset any carbon. Without standardization and some sort of you know central, well-established method of creating and verifying carbon, you know, reductions can be a little dangerous. So, you know, you could implement a bunch of expensive practices and then in North Carolina where, you know, the soils don't freeze in the winter, you might not sequester that much carbon and you might not get paid that much. You know, that's just a word of caution. A lot of caution, I think, needed in the area of carbon sequestration, carbon credits, carbon markets. There'll be more on that as we go ahead. If you're a farmer who's got experience in this area, drop me a line. Dan at agandnc.com. Thanks in part to April and BG at the Farmer's Connection. If you've not put a copy of the Farmer's Connection in your hand recently, I highly recommend it. Farmer's Connection is a newsprint magazine with information and ads from dealers and suppliers right here in North Carolina. Check out used equipment prices from dealers like Mark Chesson and Sons in Williamston, Caps Trailer in Dover, Bell Gray Pickerhead Repair in Cresswell, 
Atlantic and Southern Equipment in Goldsboro and Williamston, Scott Land Plains in Columbia, and Premier Equipment Company at Rocky Mount, Enfield, Washington, and Aden. And check out the auction schedules like our buddy Jason Acock Auctioneering. Farmers Connection, online and available at independent farm equipment dealers all over North Carolina. Checking commodity prices from last week, December live cattle futures closed at 182.22.5, lost $2.40 on the week. For the week, November feeders lost $5.32. They closed at 236.90. Nearby December lean hog futures entered the week at 70.47.5, up $4.47 on the week. Lean hog index continued its seasonal decline for the week, but the rate of decline slowed significantly. North Carolina egg prices were higher on medium, steady on the balance when compared to the prior week. The weighted average price quoted Thursday, October 26, for small lot sales of delivered carton grade A eggs was 146.30 for extra large. 139.36 for large, 129.22 for medium, and $92 for small eggs. Number two yellow shell corn was mixed 11 cents lower to 33 cents higher when compared to the prior week. Prices ranged mostly 464 to 546 at the feed mills and 479 to 538 at the elevators through Thursday, October the 26th. Number one yellow soybeans were steady to 13 cents lower, ranged 1309 to 1336 at the processors, mostly 1255 to 1283 at the elevators. Number two red winter wheat was steady up 16 cents and ranged 504 to 585 at the elevators. New crop prices quoted for harvest delivery soybeans were 1222 to 1297. That's this week's Ag and NC. You can subscribe to the longer free podcast version on Apple or Spotify or download the IBX Media app. Details on all that and links to our sponsors on our website, agandnc.com. Thanks to Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Agriculture in North Carolina, copyright 2023, Interbanks Media. For Jeff Turner and myself, Dan Miller, make it a great week.